Told y'all this was a movement. Taking ain't believe pieces that are performed by other performers and um, yeah I guess my latest endeavor is doing some uh, acting. <laughs> uh, I guess I, I'm doing it on the side for now but I really love it and I hope that it can grow into something uh, more substantial. I recently signed with an agent 
project. And um, I'm excited to see where that goes. Wow, that's amazing. So um, <laughs> you, you got some, there's so many people that are out there trying to find an agent. Do you have any advice for um, people that are trying to secure an agent? Especially with you being a new, like new into the industry as far as acting is concerned. I mean, it's really amazing that you are able, you know, have been able to find an agent. Yeah, so I think I would say that I was really lucky um, for this agent to have um, taken me under her wing, uh, just because I do have very little experience compared to some people um, in the industry and uh, what. What I had, um, basically my process was to try to build my resume as much as possible on my own. But whenever I felt like I hit a certain milestone in terms of what work I had done, I would, um, I, I had a list of agents that I um, was planning to contact in some way when I thought that maybe I was ready. And I sent several cold emails, um, I think maybe, six or seven, some of them got back to me, some of them I didn't hear back from at all. And this particular agent um, was telling me that she had her inbox completely full of like 800 plus emails of people seeking representation. And um, she pulled mine out of that uh, pack, I guess, because of the fact that I had certain um, skills that weren't in that weren't seen often in the film industry. So one of them is being a professional violinist. Um, another was that I could speak uh, multiple languages. And so, and she she basically um, added her added me to her agency because um, I had a certain energy, I guess, that she was looking for. And despite my lack of experience, she thought that maybe. Um, I had the right drive for this industry. So um, I guess my advice would be if you're seeking representation, it really doesn't hurt <laughs> to capitalize on the things that you have outside of the film industry. And like, you know, if you speak a language, if you can dance, if you can sing, if you have some weird skill that maybe no one else would have, but really sets you apart. Um, and also just being really confident and believing that you are worth being put on screen, um, being given the auditions that um, you wouldn't be able to get otherwise on your own. And um, yeah, I think just projecting that someone will be able to feel that and, and believe in you as well. Wow. You know what, Alice, you gave us so much information and I am so excited because <laughs> being inspired with Linda H, I always try to give some kind of motivation, um, advice out to our listeners. And I mean, we're not even five minutes into the show and you, <laughs> <laughs> you've given us so much knowledge. Oh my gosh. So, um, so some of the things I took away from that also is um, you have to be persistent. You have to do your research. You know, you said you had a whole list of people that, you know, or different agents that you knew and eventually you wanted to contact. Mm -hmm. um, you, get, you know, cold emails. So you overcame the fear of, you know, just 
reaching out to people. Um, and you know, guys, this, this doesn't, none of this stuff is just solely for actors or someone pursuing the film industry. This applies to any kind of, you know, um, dream that you have, you know, any kind of career path that you're trying to pursue um, business endeavors or whatnot, you know, it, it's all the same. So, Absolutely. Um, and capitalizing on the skills that you have, I think that that is very important. And it also goes to show um, that, you know, we should all keep trying to improve skills or learn new skills as well, because that makes you marketable. You know, um, it doesn't necessarily, like, again, I said, have to be within the film industry. I mean, even if you're working a corporate job, you know, technology changes all the time. You know, you have to continually learn new things. So um, thank you. That was some great advice. Oh, and you know what? Let me just say one more thing, because it, it, you just made me think of something as well. Um, when you said that the, the agent did not um that the agent was saying that they didn't have um you know someone that has your skills or whatnot one of the things that someone told me is that when you are looking for let's say an example um um getting represented by a talent agency it's always good to look and see what what the talent is that they already have you know and if you already know that you know they don't have someone that fits your, you know, description or whatnot, you can use that to your advantage as well, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so um, you mentioned that you are a professional, um, a professional violinist. Now, how does someone actually become like a professional um, violinist and what, and what kind of um, opportunities are there for people? And the reason why I'm asking is because, I mean, you hear people that are like singers and, you know, wanting to, um, you know, they become singers or rappers or, you know, producers of music. But I have never ran across someone that is actually a professional, you know, um, instrumentalist. So, <laughs> so violin is like a very niche thing mm -hmm. or classical music in general is, is pretty niche. So um, most of my colleagues started violin when they were as young as two years old, average is probably five, four or five, six years old. So everyone who has started um, <clears throat> on this path most likely started when they were really young. I also started young but on piano first so I, I began learning piano when I was five and then I I chose violin even though my parents didn't want to deal with <laughs> taking me to another set of lessons um, and stuff but um, I convinced them by the age of 10 and um, I really can't tell you when I consciously decided I wanted to be a musician it kind of just um, was the path that made a lot of sense to me in terms of my daily um, uh, <laughs> goals. I just, I was always thinking about what I can do next in music, like what I can, what orchestra I can be a part of, like what um, chair I wanted to get in um, so-and-so orchestra. So growing up, I, um, I went to a boarding school for a year 
uh, for violin and um, it was the North Carolina School of the Arts. I guess it's University of North Carolina School of Arts now, but um, I lived there in their dorms and practiced four to seven hours a day. It was all I did. And um, ultimately that lifestyle wasn't good for me mentally, but I was really glad that I went because I had a lot of catching up to do. And that was the year that I did it. And, um, and just because I had put so much work and passion into it, I just didn't even consider studying anything else in college. So um, when it came time to apply for colleges, um, the process is a little different for uh, musicians. So if you want to pursue a degree in violin performance or you know any other instrument um, classically, there is a live audition process. So I, um, I applied to, I think, eight schools or something. And um, my mom and I <laughs> just went on this like tour, I guess, of auditions where we went to New York and then to Houston, to Cleveland, to Boston, all, all of those cities that um, uh, have the top conservatories. And I, I was um, fortunate that I had gotten past the pre-screening round and was given a live audition for all these schools. So, wow. um, um, so it was a lot of work <laughs> and it was um, just maybe two or three months where I was always on the road. Um, and when I did come home, it was just to take a lesson with my teacher, make sure I was on the right track when it was time to audition and then go back out and play my, my audition again. And um, that's, that's how everyone does it um, for violin and other instruments. So yeah, it's a really weird, <laughs> really different process to getting into school. And um, so yeah, I ended up going to a music conservatory for my um, undergraduate degree. And then I went to Rice University, uh, which has a great music school as well um, for my master's. And I eventually got my doctorate at the University of Toronto in violin performance. So um, yeah, I went the whole nine yards on this. <laughs> wow, okay. So what, it, it sounds like that you had a lot of support um, from your parents as far as like, you know, getting you the lessons you needed, taking you to where you need to be. And I am pretty sure that behind that comes a lot of money that had to be invested into you, um, you know, between the lessons and the actual instruments and things like, and the traveling and, and all of that. Do you have mm -hmm. any advice for people who may want to pursue a dream or, you know, have a passion, let's say music, for example, but they don't have the financial means to take lessons or, you know, be able to travel, you know, back and forth and, you know, things of that nature, you know, will that prevent them from being able to pursue their dreams? Finances. Right. So this is actually a really poignant um, conversation to have because um, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement that happened um, or is still going, but um, through all of that, um, the, one of the topics that came up during um, in, in the classical music world during that was that, you know, we don't see a lot of um, people of color in the classical music industry. And a lot of it comes from the fact that, um, you know, financially, this is a really um, daunting <laughs> path mm -hmm. to pursue. And 
it really does come down to can you even afford lessons can you do you have the time to go to these things or um and so i think this is something that classical music and the classical music world needs to work on and that's my first um thought on this that there needs to be a lot more um resources for people of all different kinds of financial um situations to be able to take part in classical music and to even be exposed mm -hmm. to it in some regards. Um, but a, another point I'd like to make is that, and this is kind of a more general attitude and um, maybe perspective, but I think when there's a will, there's a way. And uh, my parents were not, well, um, like, or not, I'm not gonna say <laughs> that they were destitute or anything, but they were not like um, upper class or anything like that. And um, what we ended up doing was basically, um, I'm not sure how, what it was called exactly, but there were certain scholarships um, or even just like private agreements with teachers who, um, recognized the fact that I really loved music and I was really willing to work. And um, so actually when we were starting out, I had lessons with somebody who just volunteered their time. And it was, he, he did that for both my brother and me. And um, that was the way I got started. Um, as I grew up, I tried to find as many scholarship opportunities, whether they were um, um, official scholarships or unofficial scholarships. And it was, and I tried as a student to pay in terms of hard work as much as possible. And just um, showing that whatever time a teacher invests in me isn't going to go to waste. And um, so when I was in high school, I participated in Atlanta Symphony New York youth orchestra and they had a scholarship as well for students because it's it's not free to be a part of that program um, but it really is an important part of development for students here in Atlanta so um, I was grateful to have that as help um, but yeah I, the biggest thing I benefited from was the fact that my parents were not just financially supportive, but emotionally supportive. And um, they didn't know where this was going. They are not musicians themselves. They didn't have any idea what the process was like to become one, but they just, they trusted that I could figure it out and they just went along with whatever I needed. And so, yeah, hopefully that wasn't too convoluted, but basically there, there are opportunities. And I do feel like, um, you know, once you hit one tier, one um, goal, it opens the path up more easily for other goals um, along the way. And hopefully if it just being resourceful can help someone get on the right path and get with the right connections and right people if they have the right attitude and right work ethic. Thank you. Yes. So, wow, that's that's a really um, important, I guess you said, you know, again, persistence, determination, when there is a will, there is a way. 
um, and you can do it. You know, a lot of research though, there's so many different programs out there that people just do not know about, or, you know, it's hidden, I guess, you know, and all you have to do is do research. You know, the internet is a wealth, everything is right there at your fingertips. So you, you can, you can find whatever you're looking for, um, to be able to, you know, assist you with whatever dreams you have. So um, I know that you've been affiliated with um, um, different groups, you know, throughout the years. Um, can you tell us more about what Project Mainstream is? Yeah, so Project Mainstream is kind of my passion project. It's um, essentially a YouTube channel, but it it uh, functions as a music collective where I... Um, I get the opportunity to work with a lot of great musicians, either my friends or um, people I've always wanted to play with or work with, or people who've approached me after finding Project Mainstream in some way. Um, And we just make music together in some regard. So one of the ways that um, have basically dominated dominated the channel are music videos of um, classical music pieces or pop covers um, during quarantine, uh, I did some socially distanced recordings with my friend Cello, um, who plays the cello, but his name is actually Cello. Oh, <laughs> um, wow. And, yeah, <laughs> and that was not his choice. That, that was his parents. But, um, <laughs> you know, it worked out for him because he does play the cello. But um, yeah, so he and I um, will send each other back and forth these recordings that we do and um, we piece them together through audio um, programs and video editing programs. And and that's also part of our, that was just how we coped with the pandemic when it really hit hard um, in March. And, um, and we also do school shows. So a big part of Project Mainstream's uh, mission statement is to bring classical music to communities that wouldn't otherwise be exposed or are not um, aware of all of what classical music can bring um, or just you know to get kids involved in classical music at an early age Um, and our show has actually been uh, probably the most rewarding part of this it I I actually um, one specific incident uh, was when I went to my old middle school and we did a show. It was uh, a full day event. We had eighth graders in the morning, sixth graders in the afternoon, or yeah, sixth graders and seventh graders in the afternoon. And um, we were in the auditorium and it was just really interesting being back and remembering when I was in middle school there and being a classical musician was not cool at all. <laughs> and, and that's okay, but um, yeah, when we were doing that show, these kids actually went really wild over it, and um, we did this one last thing before our finale, and it was taking a, a selfie video with the crowd, and these kids were just like screaming their heads off, and and, um, and then afterwards, we got a bunch of messages from our from their parents or on our YouTube comments of and and, and on our Instagram and just people saying, thank you for doing that, or um, can you cover this? Or thank you for coming to my school. That was the coolest thing that happened this year and all this stuff that I would never expect, especially because I had gone to that exact school and the attitude was so different 
towards classical music then and um, it's just great to see it, uh, that kind of attitude towards it today. Wow. So you're bringing the cool to classical music. Yeah. <laughs> trying. So, um, so now do you, now is this project um, specifically um, the one with the schools right now, are, are you only doing that within like the Atlanta area or do uh, you visit schools outside of Atlanta? So, um, Actually, when we did that particular show, I was still living in Toronto and um, they actually flew us down to do it. So we were really lucky. Yeah, and so most of the school shows we did were in Toronto. And then when I came back to Atlanta, the, uh, the pandemic had just started. So we haven't had a chance to do more, but we would love, we would go anywhere with this show. It would, I think it's, it's really rewarding for us. It's really important in my opinion for, kids or uh, whoever might want to see this and um yeah so not just Atlanta for sure wow okay so um I know a lot of the schools are going toward the end of the school year um right now so how um how would them schools be able to request you coming for the next school year hopefully things with COVID will be a little bit more um under control yeah so they can just email project mainstream music at gmail.com or okay. they can even just search project mainstream we have a website and there's a contact form there um there's also my personal email so they can absolutely just contact me directly um but yeah actually if you're interested in other resources that are similar to this um there's a great project called the atlanta music project and it um it's basically subsidized uh, lessons for uh, whatever student wants to learn music, classical music and, or whatever instrument they want to learn. And um, I have a lot of friends working on that and it's really uh, a, a wonderful project. And there's also um, the Talent Development Program, which is uh, a part of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra um, Education Initiative and that, um, that provides lessons to, um, I think it's uh, African American or Latino um, students hey, Alex, who want I'm to learn. Sorry. Our our internet uh, dropped a second ago. I I missed out on what you were saying. So um, what I did was you was telling us a little bit about the Atlanta Music Project with the subsidized um lessons. Uh huh. Um, yes, and there's another resource I just wanted to point out, um, uh, which is the Talent Development Program, by which is a an initiative by the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, and that is a program that provides people of color with, I think, free lessons. And um, you you do have to audition, but uh, once you're in the program, they make sure that you have all the resources you need. Um, they provide um, some kind of funding for audition flights and um, summer festivals. If you're going to a summer, um, basically we have a lot of classical music summer camps <laughs> where we learn and perform all summer long and they help cover the tuition for those as well. Wow. So, those are just a few resources. Yeah, thank you so much. So we'll make sure to um, link Um, 
Linda, I can't hear you. I don't know if that's my end or yours. Um, I know that you and I met during the, the pandemic um, and you've been doing the Project Mainstream. Do you have any other um, pandemic um, projects that you have been working on? Um, yeah, okay. So sorry, you you dropped out for a second. So I don't, I hope I heard everything. Um, <laughs> but um, so for other projects, um, well, actually, I guess acting has been kind of that next project of mine. And um, that's been really fun. Otherwise, I've been trying to learn how to film score. So uh, to write music for movies. And that's, that's actually a big dream of mine. And I've just been trying to get acquainted with the technological side of it, because it's really a completely different language <laughs> for me. Um, but yeah, that's been really fun, too. I've just been taking old Disney cartoon videos or movies like Pocahontas and Lion King and um, taking out the audio and putting in my own music and seeing how it goes. That's been really fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I have any other official projects going on, but those are the things I've been occupying my time with. Are you still there? Yeah, I sorry. Oh, Connection says it's good. I don't know. <laughs> but um, no, so um, um, no, I th think we did get the, the ending of that. You were saying about the um, the Disney um, 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 movies you've been using your songs. Oh, yes. So I've been just I've been trying to learn how to film score. Okay, which is um, making or writing music for movies and um, it's been a, a journey <laughs> because there's a, it's like a big technological thing <laughs> as well. So I've, I've just been trying to learn how to use my computer and all of the, the equipment that I had to get to, to make this happen. And it, I'm just not a technological person. So it's been, it's been harrowing in some ways, but really fun in others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're working on a long-term dream of yours, see? So um, I know a lot of people are working on different things, um, you know, uh, during the pandemic, you know, opening businesses, um, you know, learning new skills. So it could come out. And actually, my Be Inspired with Linda H was um, my pandemic project. <laughs> yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, um, uh, March or April of last year. So see, everyone's getting oh, wow. on new projects. So, Congrats. so yeah thank you so I, i've been um talking about pandemics um um you know we were just talking about pandemics i need to make sure that um i give a shout out to mccain labs so if you are in the middle georgia area And that is McCain Labs home of $30 test. So Alice, I have a question for you. Um, there are um, 
a lot of people that, pers you know, that are working, um, you know, uh, career paths that are, are not, I, I would say not normal, like the acting, the film industry, um, you being a professional musician. Now, do you have a day job or what a lot of people in the film industry would call like a survival job? And so they make it to um, that point in their career that they feel that, you know, they're, I wouldn't say fame, but you know, that they're, you know, pretty much sufficient. So I actually am a full-time freelancer and um, I'm very adamant about that being a really wonderful lifestyle for someone like me. I know that a lot of people in um, the South especially don't, don't see freelancing as the most um, stable lifestyle and you know it's not as stable as a, a day job for sure but um, I've, I've been really lucky to have been freelancing for the last three four years now and um, it has worked out for me um, so before I would play with the Atlanta Symphony um, basically every week actually um, before the pandemic hit but since then I've just been um, playing concerts when I can. So right now I'm part of this thing called Candlelight Concerts and I'm sure you've seen the ads for them on Facebook or Instagram. It's like a quartet sitting in the middle of a bunch of candles. So that's, um, so I perform for those every week. And I also um, do video and audio editing for the University of Toronto and Emory University, uh, especially now because of the pandemic. And, um, and then I also teach violin. So I just basically uh, stitched together <laughs> a, <laughs> a, a lifestyle from a bunch of random sources of revenue. I also, um, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, but I have a photography business. So I've also um, been doing photo shoots uh, now more so than before because of, um, you know, people getting vaccinated more and uh, being able to be outdoors because the weather's nicer. Um, so it's safer to have photo shoots and things like that without masks on. But um, yeah, it's basically, I don't have a day job, but um, I think freelancing is a totally viable option for making a living. And uh, it helps when something last minute comes up for an acting gig of some kind, I am most likely able to just say, yeah, I can do it, I'm free. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, that goes back again to... Um, but sorry you dropped out for one second can you repeat what you just said oh. <laughs> sorry. No, I, no I was saying that you know it doesn't matter like if you are trying to pursue a dream you know some people feel like as far as when you know well how am I going to survive how am I going to make money you know and there are ways you know and like you said here you know you piece together all your different skills on how you can you know make money and you're surviving you know and there are all kind of other um survival jobs that um you know people can do you know whether it's working for tips doing bartending or 
um, you know, just finding jobs that are flexible enough for you to be able to pursue, you know, what your dream is. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I we, we talked a little bit about, um, um, well, actually, we talked about it before the interview. Um, we was talking about um, how, unfortunately, you know, there's been a, a lot of awareness on, um, you know, discrimination against um, people of Asian descent. Um, and then we have the um, Stop Asian Hate, um, I guess you would say like the movement that's going on right now. Um, you had, an, and I know because we're um, personally friends on our personal pages on Facebook, you had um, shared with your friends, um, you know, a situation that you have encountered um, some years back now um with Linda can you hear me Alice can you hear me <laughs> I can you know what? Let me see if I could hop on to another um, thing. Okay, sounds did you, good. Did you did you hear my question? Um, I think I got the gist. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, um, should I share my personal experience yeah, and also? Sorry that you didn't um, hear the question. Yes. So I was um, telling the telling our listeners how um, you, you've shared on your personal um, Facebook page about an experience that you've encountered. Um, and if you would mind sharing it with us. Yeah. So, um, you know, at the time that this happened, I didn't really think of it as a big deal. It was frustrating, but um, I just kind of brushed it off and tried to go with my uh, about my day. But um, this was actually in Toronto when I was um, still doing my doctorate degree and I was riding the subway uh, on the way to a lesson and um, it was maybe like nine in the morning. It was not an hour <laughs> that I would expect anything weird to happen. And um, this lady was looking at me and muttering things under her breath and I, I, I tried to ignore it. I didn't know if she was really looking at me, if it was, um, you know, just, you know, someone who wasn't very mentally there and just talking to herself or something. Um, but yeah, then I, I, uh, I heard her say something about the fact that I was Chinese and she really, she thought that I was going to kill somebody. And I, it got a lot harder to um, ignore her after a while, but I kept trying. And finally, I noticed she had taken a pretty big book out of her bag and um, and she was advancing towards me. And at first it was very slowly, but the closer she got, the faster she got and someone else noticed. And luckily for me, someone intervened and, um, and there was actually kind of a struggle and I, it would just, was a lucky timing that we had just gotten to a stop so I, I just got off the train and I don't know or subway and I don't know what happened next but um I just I just hopped onto the next subway and I just remember being 
like I was physically shaking, but also I was just trying to think of it as like, you know, I don't know what that was. I need to just move on with my day. I need to focus on the fact that I have a lesson coming up in a few minutes. Um, like I just didn't believe that there were a lot of people who thought in that way. Um, and I don't know what her reasoning for thinking that I, I would, I was a murderer of some kind was. Maybe she had seen something on the news about something that had happened with involving a Chinese person, but um, yeah, it just, but recently with all of the attacks on Asian Americans, um, it's kind of become a sad realization that there are actually a lot of people who have discriminatory um, views against Asians um, that I, I didn't, I just didn't think that I, I was always, um, sometimes I would feel different in school um, because of my upbringing or my heritage or whatever, but I never felt like I was lesser than somebody or I, I um, was discriminated against until, you know, that moment happened. And now I realize um, this is something that people just don't talk about that much in terms of Asian Americans. And I don't think of Asian Americans ourselves talk about it. Um, and now looking back at, at my um, childhood, I guess I, I realized there are so many things that I kind of didn't think about before. Like the fact that um, when I date somebody who's not Asian, my friends and I always wonder, oh, is this person dating me just because I'm Asian? Or like, the, it's, a, <laughs> it's a real thing. And I'm like, the term yellow fever, like that, we've all heard it before. We've all, I've joked about it before. My guy friends have joked about it. And now I just, I'm thinking like, you know, actually there's something behind it that we really need to actually think about and discuss and is like what's going on like, behind all of that. And um, yeah, it's just so disheartening to see what's going on in the Asian American community right now. Um, I follow some accounts on Instagram that do a really good job of reporting a lot of the incidents. And, um, you know, the shooting in Atlanta was the one that everyone heard about. But every day there's something that happens that just seems completely senseless. Um, it's usually against, you know, more defenseless people like older Asian Americans or um, small Asian women. Um, you know, people who wouldn't necessarily physically defend themselves as easily. And I don't, <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I have anything else to say about that, except that it's completely horrible, but um, I just really wish that things were different and I hope that things will begin to change. But, you know, all of this hopefully doesn't just you know, happen and it's a tragedy, but it actually starts a conversation um, that we need to have as a now, what you know, would world. you think would be the first conversation that 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 should be had within households? Um, that's a good question. I think there are so many ways to address this, and I don't know exactly which one is the right first step, I guess. Um, you know, as 
as an Asian American, I feel like in Asian American households, we have to have a discussion of, you know, standing up for ourselves and um, knowing when to speak up. Because I think growing up as an Asian American, I, a lot of my friends and I were brought up to sort of keep our head down and stay focused. And that's always the go-to plan, whether it's, you know, there's a bully at school or um, something bad happened, you know, it, it's just stay focused. That's the, that's the strategy. And, um, and, but I think, especially now it's more important than ever to actually make a statement to really speak up on behalf of our, you know, our, our fellow Asian Americans. And um, when I wrote on my Facebook page, I felt honestly very uncomfortable doing so, but I felt that it was, you know, something I needed to do um, for my community. And, um, you know, outside of Asian American households, I just wish that racism in general was addressed or just like it should not be the issue that it is mm -hmm. race has never defined anything except you know maybe certain heritage um things that we all have and i think heritage is beautiful and, and it shouldn't be a means for violence or for discrimination and um so for for me to come from that perspective i don't even know where to begin because i don't understand really how some of these discriminations get so embedded into um, the kind of people who would want to stab somebody for the fact that they are a certain race or shoot somebody or or just look at someone differently. Um, but yeah, I hope that some of that is useful. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. And also I think it's really important for um, you know, everyone, especially um, parents to expose their children to different cultures, you know, um, I think that, um, you know, even if you don't know people, you know, from from different cultures, um, like, I, 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 yeah, I was mentioning how um, next month is uh, the Asian Asian Pacific month, the, the mm -hmm. month of May. And I mean, when, when you have, and of course it shouldn't just be a month or a day or something to, you know, celebrate or learn, but use that as an opportunity to find all of these programs that, you know, are, are being um, put together for the public, you know, to learn more. Um, I, I think that it's really important. Um, do you know of any organizations that are, are good to follow? When it, when it comes to support of um, Asian Americans or to learn, or even just to learn more about, about, the, about the culture or about your culture, I'm sorry. Yes, so, um, so to start off, there are a lot of great social media accounts to follow just to, be, to stay aware. Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, well, one of them, this is easy, but just the hashtag stop Asian hate or hashtag stand for Asians. Um, that's, those are easy ways to see a lot of the things that are going on or other resources are being shared 
with those hashtags. There's also um, at hate is a virus. Um, I think that's an Instagram account. Um, certain organizations that I, I really think do a great job of um, providing resources for people who have been affected or um, if you want bystander training or um, to donate to victims, um, the, sorry, I, I know the, um, okay, so I, I didn't, I know what the acronym is, I just didn't know what this stood for exactly, but it's Asian Americans Advancing Justice or AAAJ. Um, that is also a great resource and they stay pretty up to date on what has happened and both good and bad. Um, they, there's also um, the AAPI, which is um, the official organization for Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders of America. Um, and then, so I'm referencing now on my page of resources. Um, but yeah, this is a personal one that I really like to follow. Um, it's a news reporter um, in San Francisco and her name is Dion Lim. Um, her, her handle on Instagram is Dion Lim, D-I-O-N-L-I-M-T-V. And she has been so wonderful in reporting what has happened, but also sharing the GoFundMe pages for people who have been um, affected by this. Like for example, just today, someone was stabbed um, in San Francisco um, on his head and punctured his lungs and also his intestines. And he's, he needs a lot of, um, he needs funds for um, his medical bill. And so hopefully through her page, people will be able to donate to him. And um, yeah, things like that I've been keeping up with through her account. So yeah, those are some resources. I can also share a link with you if, um, if it's possible to share links with your followers? Yes, of course. And any all links you can um, send to me and then I'll make sure that we get those links on the Be Inspired with Linda H Facebook page so mm -hmm. that um, people can, you know, check them out. You know, it's really important to know what's going on. But at the same time of knowing what's going on, how do you have any tips for mentally um, you know, because there is so much stuff going on. I mean, and, and it's not just, um, you know, having to do with the attacks on Asians. You have, you know, stuff with um, the, the Black Lives Matter. You have stuff with COVID <laughs> itself, you know. I mean, it, it, it's a lot of things that are going on right now that are just so mentally draining, you know. Yeah. Um, do you have any tips on how you personally, um, you know, keep yourself sane? Because I mean, it seems like every time you put on the news, you're just hearing something that is just, you know, so mentally draining that, you know, it's really affecting people. Absolutely. It's, you know, that's something I've had a lot of trial and error with personally through the pandemic. Um, you know, it's so important to stay aware of what's going on, but at the same time, you have to look out for yourself. And um, I, I found that just disconnecting from certain things, um, like those accounts that I just mentioned, sometimes I can't look at them. Um, I, and I just, I have to admit that to myself, like today I can't read this news. I can't take this and, and harbor it. 
emotionally. Um, and that doesn't mean I don't care. It just means today I need a little break so I can, you know, be the best advocate I can be uh, when I'm, you know, more refreshed. And so sometimes I have to just disconnect from that kind of news. Um, and uh, it really helps to remember that for me, <laughs> it really helps that um, the, the biggest change you can make is within your own community. So I try to um, be as good of a person as I can to the people who are around me and who are in my life. Um, because I think if everyone took that initiative, you know, it, it makes a big impact um, and on a bigger scale because of what we do in our own households or in our own friend groups. And so I try to just focus on the people who are in my life um, and make sure I'm, I'm giving back in some way in, in that regard as well. Um, I also think that there are stigmas against therapy, but I completely um, stand by the value of therapy. I just think that it's essentially a, an efficient way to process things. And um, like, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything about you if you need or want therapy, you know, I think everyone <laughs> can benefit from it. So um, if that, if it feels like that's something that could be beneficial in your life, I, I, I personally would suggest not hesitating and just, you know, have someone that you can talk to because um, they're going, they're essentially there to help. And why, why not? <laughs> yeah. If it helps. Yeah. Of course. So thank you so much. So yes, making sure that you're taking care of yourself, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times we don't think about it mentally, but I mean, it's, it's very important, you know, for your, for your mental health and, and well-being. So Alice, I know you have gave us so much information. I am just so excited. I cannot wait to hear what my listeners have to think about this episode. You shared resources. You gave us some words of encouragement on following your dreams. Um, do you have any uh, last minute thoughts or, um, you know, you do, would you like to share um, how people can connect with you before we um, head out with the show? Yeah, so um, I just want to say thank you again for having me. This is the coolest initiative, and I think it's so um, great that you're doing this. And I just I feel lucky that you wanted to talk to me today. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, if anyone wants to reach out to me, um, my handle is just my name, Alice Hong, with two underscores after it. And um, I also have a website, but. Um, otherwise, like, I'm just really grateful to be here talking with you and getting to catch up with you again. And hopefully we can see this movie soon because it's been a while. Yes, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Share our experience. You know, yeah. that's like the bad thing about the film industry is like you, it takes so long to process. And then you're just like, oh, 
I got to keep a secret. I got to keep a secret. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. And we have so many pictures because we were there for forever. <laughs> yes, yes. So y'all stay tuned to that too. When we can talk about it, we will definitely talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. So thank you so much again for tuning in. Alice, thank you so much for, you know, spending some time with me and all y'all make sure that y'all catch me next friday at 8 30 follow me on be inspired with linda h on facebook and i will talk to y'all next week bye bye <laughs>